Hello everyone, welcome back to Queer. Queers unpacking everything endlessly and relentlessly. A brand new UW Q Center monthly podcast. My name is Anthony Chang, I use he him pronouns and I'm the Q Center assistant director. And today I'm joined by... Welcome back everyone, this is Jazz. My pronouns are they, she, and I'm the Q Center's graduate community advising coordinator. My name is Allison and I use she, her pronouns. I'm the graduate audio video and recording specialist here at the Q Center. Awesome, Allison, could you tell us a little bit about what we're talking about today? Yeah, so today we're going to be centering around race and sexuality and the intersection between the two, Um, and we're also going to be getting into the sexualization and fetishization of racialized bodies and the way that we experience this. We decided it might be beneficial to kind of go around and name our racial identities, so I identify as mixed race, Chinese, and white. This is Jazz again. Um, my identity uh, racially identifies Afro-Indigenous um, or as a Black Native person uh, hailing from the Shinnecock Nation in Long Island, New York. Um, and this is Anthony again. Um, I identify as mixed race of being both Mexican and Chinese. Lovely. Awesome. So yeah, today we're doing a little bit different of a format. I know each of us have kind of brought a media example and clip that we kind of really want to speak from. And we feel like a lot of the intersectionalities between race and sexuality kind of get represented in media pretty often and sometimes for the good, sometimes really for the worse. And uh, we have a few examples today that we'd like to share with you all and kind of just work through. Who wants to go first? I can go first. Um, So my media clip is from the show on Netflix called Sex Education. Um, which is actually really relevant, I would say, to our queer sex podcast in a lot of ways. Um, And in the clip that I'm about to show, it has um, Adam and Eric, a queer interracial couple, and um, Eric is talking about his culture and how it's um, illegal to be gay in Nigeria, and it kind of just shows the way that this topic comes up in a conversation with other non-black people. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and start that right now. Oh, I wish I could go. I've got to go to a wedding in Nigeria. Is it illegal to be gay in Nigeria? Yeah, it is. But no one knows that I'm there. So. Oh, you didn't know it was illegal? Yeah, it's no big deal. It sounds like a big deal. I couldn't talk about it in time. Adam, how is your dad. This clip, even though it's short, I think holds a lot of different, um, it represents a lot of different issues, um, especially intersecting race and sexuality. And so what I noticed was that Eric um, kind of brushed it off and it sounded like it was something that really was a big deal to him and probably was very scary, but he said it with such casualty in his voice. um, And Visually, you can kind of see in his body and see in his face that he has a lot of internalized oppression about this because this is his home country and he's he can't even go to Nigeria and be his full self because it is illegal. It would be illegal for him to marry his boyfriend or marry a man. And also, um, the three of them kind of expecting him to explain what's going on and then also moving on very quickly after the topic is discussed almost like it's not important or not relevant to, you know, what they're talking about. Yeah, I think something that stands out to me too with that clip is how, like, people of color or folks with, like, cultures in there that have different um, 
understandings or relationships with queerness kind of get put on the spot by white people to kind of like defend or like explain their cultural attitudes towards queerness um, when that's not necessarily their job to and also just the different relationships that we all have um, within families or within cultures like with our queerness like you know maybe Eric saying it's not such a big deal would be like something totally unimaginable to like white queer people but like a lot of us know within our own cultures like our relationship with queerness or the way that we engage with our queerness might have to be different mm-hmm. um which could be a good or bad thing you know but definitely feeling the 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 energy of eric kind of being put on the spot in a room full of white people being like oh that's so sad for you um definitely shown through yeah, and then even just kind of seeing how quickly it moved on for what, with like, being a person of color, kind of navigating a space in which you could not exist legally, mm. it, and then to be so easily talking about your father. And, like, that could be definitely rooted in, like, uncomfortability, but I think it mm-hmm. speaks to, like, that larger thing, like, we have real traumas in our lives, like, as people of color, but then on top of that, intersecting with this queer identity, mm. where statistically we kind of do experience some not great things, and... I kind of think about how that's almost representative of like main, like larger mainstream conversations about how, like how queer people of color are impacted and how easily that's swept under the rug and kind right. of and thinking of that I think about like the murders of like black trans women like how we know that statistically happens and it occurs but in the mainstream conversation it is sweeped under the rug right. very quickly. Yeah. I wonder too like with that scene how that conversation would have gone like if Eric's partner like wasn't white like mm-hmm. if it was another black person or even like another person of color within their own community that has a specific relationship with queerness like mm-hmm. would they have not pressed would they have understood more would they have misunderstood in a different way like I think that dynamic is very specific to that relationship too mm-hmm. yeah I totally agree and I kind of see like some um theme of white avoidance in this scene as well because Um, It kind of just seems like the three of them are not only like moving on because it's not a big deal or they're believing him when he says it's not a big deal, but they're also, I mean, you can't see their expressions, but they all look pretty uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And um, it kind of just like, it ostracizes Eric even more for being a person of color um, and for them not really knowing what to say and not, you know, they're just like, oh, we'll just talk about it later. And it's just not like, even Eric knows that it's not really a safe conversation to Mm -hmm. have with the people that are at the table. Definitely. I'm kind of like also thinking about like just how, and please remind me of the names again. Um, it was Eric who- And Adam. Eric and Adam. Yeah. And Eric is the one who was returning for the wedding, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like kind of like even just looking at how they express themselves, like Eric definitely has like eyeliner on, has his nails mm-hmm. painted, mm-hmm. and is a lot more expressive in their queer identity than mm-hmm. I would say Adam was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Adam. And like even just like that, like this person who gives like who, un- who seemingly understands themselves and is comfortable expressing themselves, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. having to return back into the, like, the state of the closet, right? Where um, the partner, Adam, who's very like mask presenting, very mm-hmm. like just there, not necessarily as expressive. It's, it's just like really interesting, like those dynamics of kind of like, you can see that Adam has done a lot or yeah, Adam, who's going to the wedding? Eric. Eric, <laughs> who's going to the wedding. Um, you know, it's definitely, like, done a lot more, like, internal work around queerness. Right. And, like, mm-hmm. we really don't know, like, how impactful having to go back into the closet right. for that state is. And, like, I think that just further plays on the intrinsic... Intricacy? Intricacy. Intricacy, <laughs> yeah. And, like, just really all the levels embedded within that. Because not only is this a body that's racialized, but it's yeah. a body that's expressive yeah. and bold. And, like, all for the boldness. But in that same regard, it's intersecting with these oppressive structures that... Right is that illegality. Yeah. 
I don't know. What do we think about our, like our own? Do we have any like lived experiences like in that? Like I was like Allison's example. Yeah, like there's like kind of like those microaggressions that really are a lot larger than these folks and these interactions even realize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the clip kind of just reminded me of like any time. I feel like I haven't personally experienced this, or I I feel like if I have experienced this, I've understood where it was stemming from but definitely like you know dating folks who like weren't closeted but like I know right when I go over to their house with their family the way that we express our queerness is going to be different versus how we might outside of family context or Mm -hmm. outside of a cultural context and being like I don't know like talking with white people and having them kind of be like oh well that's just so sad or you can't be yourself or like it's just so oppressive towards you, but kind of like as a person of color or as in people like within those dynamics, like, no, it's, you know, it's just like something that we know. It's something that we understand to be true and that we like interact around. Um, Like, I don't think my partner doesn't like me or doesn't love me because they're not showing me off to their family. I just know there are different like cultural cues and contexts that happen whenever I'm around their family. And I feel like that doesn't always happen as smoothly or isn't understood without like personal hurt coming from that um, with white folks who might be more accustomed to like American or Western understandings of queerness and coming out and being like, everyone must know, my family must accept me wholeheartedly versus like, I'm out, but like we're going to have safety measures, we're going to have uh, comfortability measures, we're going to have like relationships that I still need to keep intact. So this is how I navigate that. I absolutely hear you like on like families developing like safe boundaries Mm -hmm. but like this kind of takes me back to like some work I did in my undergrad where we're kind of like looking at what queering the closet is and like kind of like what does it mean to come out and essentially like looking at the closet from this intersectional lens that's like informed by race Mm -hmm. other factors and it was like what does it mean to come out to the larger mainstream versus like being a person of color coming out to your like POC culture and family those are two different experiences and sometimes that mainstream one can feel safer Mm -hmm. um and like I know in like my own lived experience being like Latino and Chinese particularly um like my father uh or no my mother and like her set of parents they are like very hardcore like uh kind of in their sense of like conservatism and that's Mm -hmm. very related to the machismo culture that they grew up in and that Mm -hmm. heavy kind of masculinization gender expectations that really came along with their um socialization and kind of just growing up um and I think about like how you know, at certain deviations, there are sides of my family that adopted more of that mainstream style and kind of culture, and where that almost felt easier, and there was less boundaries with, and I feel like that kind of goes into that space of, like, having white partners and, like, that kind of mainstream narrative being closer to that. I don't know, it just feels like a really normalization adoption of, like, American styles that kind of, yeah, it just feels weird and, like, having to navigate safely. I was curious if you were going to talk about um, what it was like coming out to your other side of your family. Yeah, actually. Oh, yeah, I can totally talk about that. That definitely feels like an intersection of varying races and kind of Mm -hmm. uh, sexuality in that. So definitely, I definitely had two sets of experiences coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, I had one with my father. The date was January 3rd, 2014, because I remember because it was traumatic. Um, In that sense of like, I remember being a lot more nervous. Mm -hmm. In that sense of coming out to him Mm -hmm. was a lot more informed in that I knew he had more conservative ideals than my mom um he felt very closer to like that machismo man um and that was that just felt in my experience a lot harder to come out to because not only was i coming out as gay but i was coming out as something that he understood as feminine Mm. and so kind of coming out to him was this 
coming out that was definitely informed by um, like the culture and kind of how I went about it. And I remember really having to hold this sense of like masculinity in coming out. Yeah. So that way like, he's... Don't worry. Yeah. I'm still this masculine person that you want me to be. Exactly. Because for him, like gay didn't mean man. Mm. And that just... So, and like... And for him, like, he had a very rigid sense of what a man was, at least at that time. And he's gotten better, and we are always in progress. I give him so much benefit of the doubt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, in that regard, like, I had just, I was a lot more mindful in that navigation. And there was definitely elements of my safety that I was a lot more mindful of. And then in kind of engaging with my mom, who who seemed to adopt more of this mainstream culture, and Willie was... um, within that and she's her ideas were a lot more mainstream than that like whatever was happening in politics she was like oh yes gay mm-hmm. rights gay marriage is happening cool like I'm so happy for you and so actually for her I never came out I simply brought a boy home one day and she was like he's cute mm-hmm. um, because you know she was progressive mom she was yeah. with it she was mm-hmm. with the times um, and in that like yeah I definitely don't I kind of think like is it for my father, it was definitely like this cultural, like it was culturally informed in that he was very machismo. He knew exactly what his idea of what man was and it was very linked to his socialization in that. And then as for my mother, like I think it, like her kind of racial identity and like racial, she's like less tied to her culture. Okay. She's definitely a lot more in the mainstream and she has like less closer ties to her actual family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like sometimes I feel like culturally she feels more in line with the mainstream. And I think like that's where that deviation of experience came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Thanks for sharing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I relate to... I was kind of going to talk about something similar of having two different experiences of coming out. Um, Because I feel that um, coming out to my mom, who is white, and her family, like her siblings and just my cousins on that side, I felt actually really comfortable and really safe coming out, and there really wasn't much pushback. And my cousins, like, ask me all the time, like, oh, how is your, you know, girlfriend, if I had one at the time, or like, oh, like... um, you know, what's dating like? They're very much, I mean, I'd say they were just more open to talking about it, which was really validating for me. Um, And I think coming out to my dad's side of the family was a lot harder um, and it took me a lot longer. I'm still uh, working on coming out to my extended family. Um, And so, yeah, and I still haven't directly talked about it with my grandparents, um, which is really, scary and it's hard but um I think my dad's extended family is just a lot more uh I guess like rooted in generally conservative values and I know that's a big generalization to make about his five siblings and just the the size of the family I have but um generally I have never been asked about my dating life Mm -hmm. and my um I think they kind of know because they talk about it, but it's something that isn't really brought up. It's just not talked about. Um, Kind of similarly, how mental health isn't really talked about on my dad's side of the family. And so it's kind of something that I'm nervous to do, um, but I kind of have done in a pretty casual sense. um, But it's one of those like unspoken um, things. And I, I do wish that there was more conversation about it on that side of my family um but it's just interesting to see the contrast of like how it was coming out like to one side of my family um as it was to the other so and I also think I'm very used to like how we we were watching that clip with Eric and how he kind of brushed it off and he was like yeah yeah it's illegal but it's it's okay it's not a big deal like that's kind of just how I feel not with Mm -hmm. um it being illegal necessarily but just like with like 
knowing that um, some of my family members really don't agree or um, I guess don't have values that align with my sexuality or my identity um, and kind of just like I've had to dissociate from that personally in order to cope and so it kind of seems like that's something that Eric has maybe had to do as well um, just being having to distance yourself from um, the reality of that because of the internalized oppression that comes with being queer and um, a person of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if we're sharing coming home stories <laughs> to our parents from our parents, um, <clears throat> I definitely can relate to like having two different experiences with each side of my family. Though both my parents are black, um, they separated when I was very young, so it felt like two very separate like living experiences that I had to kind of you know figure out. Each parent was different when I was with each one. Um, they had different ways of doing things and different understandings of me. Um, and when I, I don't believe I came out to like my parents officially either, like in a sit down sense, but it was more of a like, uh, what would you call it? Like breadcrumbing? Like I would leave okay. hints <laughs> or I would like put up this new poster that's very suggestive or kind of like say something and like gauge their reaction. So mm-hmm. I would like definitely like, I was actively trying to ease them into it. And I think on one hand, they were like, oh, you know, Jazz is being a teenager and is like pushing, but like, we don't know. And then whenever I had my first, or not my first, whenever I started dating someone publicly who was um, another, well, who was a girl, and I was very adamant about like including her in like family life and like bringing her around. So that was kind of my way of coming out. And I think for my mom, it was very like blase. It was very like not a big deal. And she kind of thought it was funny that I like, not that I thought it was a big deal, but I was trying to like surprise. And she's like, oh, I don't care actually. So you're not getting anything like out of me about it. Mm -hmm. And it was very easy in that way. Um, And with my dad, I think he kind of, since I did live primarily with my mom, um, a lot of his reaction came from you know, uh, his relationship with gender and him being like, as a man, uh, I feel X, Y, Z. And he was very just like, I don't want to say passively homophobic, but I remember being a kid and there were like instances in public where he would say or do things and I'd be like, oh, this is so horrible. Um, I can see clearly how he feels about this. And, and even to this day, like, I think it's funny, Anthony, you mentioned about like, you know, you give him more credit than he deserves. Cause I, to this day, I feel like my dad's like, oh, he's less homophobic than I remember him being. Mm-hmm. So that's a step. Or like, he's okay with my queerness. So that's a step versus like him actually being resolved of that homophobia. Um, but yeah, I actively remember one time um, he definitely like blamed my mom for me being queer because she was too open about it or she was too accepting of it Mm -hmm. and he was like oh like you know like this is why she's that way you let her do what she wants too much um and I would have like close friends over when I was staying with him who I was in no way involved with romantically but he'd have anxiety over it and would call my mom and be like oh my gosh I think she really is gay like I saw her like in the same room with like you know and I was like oh you're really like afraid of this aren't you Mm -hmm. um but definitely the more I exposed him to it um and the more that he saw that he wasn't getting reaction from my mother um the way that he wanted he would kind of step back and he would uh, quote-unquote allow it more because he realized that like you know I didn't live with him he couldn't he wasn't the one that was 
kind of guiding my life in that way and that was something that was still happening um so he slowly got used to it yeah no i think that's so real i'm like even like uh, i find it so crazy like there's so many things that i feel like are so common in the queer experience that we really don't know is common until we mm, vocalize it like right. i remember after coming out myself like suddenly all of my best friends were not allowed to come over yeah and like suddenly mm. like oh like i could have girlfriends over like it was nothing but mm. the second i bring like my best friend of like two years over he's like I don't know. I don't know yeah. what they're doing. I'm like, we're playing video games. Literally. We're playing Call of Duty. Like, we're being, we're doing the most boyish, like, gross thing you could yeah. do. Like, no, I, I don't. These, it's just like that, that additional anxiety, that additional right. feeling like you need to watch the fact that like you're doing something wrong and dirty or shameful. And then some way that that reflects them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just. Yeah, I'm like, that is like, when you talk about that, I was like, are you in my life for a little bit? It's kind of, it's a funny story, but not really funny, haha. But um, I remember because my friend at the time was taking a shower mm-hmm. and I was doing my hair in the bathroom while she was in the shower and like the shower curtain was drawn. Like she, like I couldn't see her. We were just like talking while we were doing the same thing. And he came home from work and he was like, are you in there with her? Oh, get out, get out, get out. And like, I was so embarrassed because she was there and I remember just like going to her room and crying and she's like it's okay mm-hmm. and my dad I could hear him outside the room on the phone calling my mom and he was just like can you like I caught her doing this I think she really is gay like I can't believe I was like at work and they were in the bathroom together and my mom called me and she was like I don't know why he's doing this I'm so sorry like I told him to relax and it's just like to this day I bring it up to him like remember when you freaked out on me and he's like oh, I don't know why you keep bringing that up. Because that was super traumatic. And it's like, to you, it was very, like, nothing. But that was embarrassing, like, to be a child and have that experience, especially for someone else to witness, Mm -hmm. especially when you weren't, quote-unquote, doing anything wrong. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And even within that, I kind of heard, oh, she really is gay. How there was also, Mm -hmm. too, that denial until Mm -hmm. proof. Yeah. That also feels, like, super relatable in that, like, my dad did not believe me until I had a boyfriend. There's no way, yeah. There's, like, there's no way my kid's gay. There's no way my kid's queer. And it's, Mm -hmm. like, that strong sense of denial. Yeah. 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 And also, Mm -hmm. like, you're talking about an experience from when you were younger. And I feel like being a child or even just like a teenager Mm -hmm. who's closeted coming from a Chinese family it was just really scary like I never Mm -hmm. saw um, anyone in my family come out like I have a big family on my dad's side and none of them claim to be anything but straight which has been really hard for me it's still hard for me but it was especially hard for me when I was closeted because um, it kind of reinforced my desire to be closeted and to Mm -hmm. stay there in the closet because I just, you know, I think it really would have made a difference if I saw um, a mentor, like an older cousin or an aunt or uncle who was um, who was out or who was queer or who was questioning or anywhere along the spectrum, um, even marrying outside of my race wasn't accepted for a long time. Um, so yeah, I think being young and having experiences like that with your parents or your family members where you don't feel fully accepted or you don't feel like your process is going to be easy, um, it can just cause a lot of dread in you mm. as a child and a lot of anxiety. And a lot of those feelings really just manifest throughout your life. Um, I know for me, they're still manifesting and I'm 23 and I'm still figuring out how to undo some of those emotions that I've experience at such a young age and jazz like you're mentioning those like traumatic incidents like those just live in your body right for so long and those can really um 
interfere with relationships with family members. So. Yeah. And to them, it's just like the way things are and daily life. But to us, it's like, no, I remember being fearful. Mm-hmm. Or they're like, well, it's so hard having a queer kid. Like, we're still learning, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously, yes, you're still learning. But like, saying it's hard having um, a queer child is just really sounds burdensome, makes me feel burdensome sometimes. Um, and, you know, I don't want like my parents to have to worry about like acting any different towards me but all I've ever wanted is just to be fully accepted throughout my whole extended family I want that for you too (laughs) I just want like all these families to be just just see us like a world in which we don't have to come out a world in which we just come closer and closer to who we're meant to be Mm -hmm. (sighs) queer futurisms Mm mm-hmm I don't know. I feel like I don't want to speak too much on this because it's not my personal experience, but something that I've heard from um, other folks I know specifically that come from immigrant families when they do come out to family members or to parents um, was like the parents, you know, not being so much as like, oh, this, I don't accept this, but it's like, I don't think the rest of the world will accept you and like not understanding that their acceptance and their support makes it so much easier for a queer child versus like oh I don't want you to be queer because other people will make life harder for you but it's mm-hmm. like oh if you supported me that would make it a little less hard mm-hmm. but instead they're focusing on you know the way that the rest of the world would treat you versus their relationship with you mm-hmm. that's so true my dad said those exact words yeah. he was like I love you and accept you but um please don't tell anyone on yeah. my side of the family which killed me um, yeah, so it's it's hard, you know, it's like they're looking out for you and, you know, they yeah. mean well, but at the same time, they, yeah, it is like just your support alone is, you know, enough yeah. for now. Like, I'm so. out there fighting, like, the world, <laughs> like, at least I want to come home and know I'm loved. Yes. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> like, come on. And it's... I had um, an ex-partner who came out to her mother, and before her mom knew that me and her were together, her mom had said to her, you know, like... Like, if this is who you are, that's fine. But, like, I don't want you to be alone because other people aren't gay. And I don't want you to be the only person and have your life be hard because you want to do this when you can just not do it. Mm -hmm. And that was such a like, eye-opening conversation. It's like, you know, like, I just, like, the world has been so hard for me. I don't want you to make it harder for yourself by adding this extra thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is kind of heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. And, like... Yeah, I talked about how I didn't have to come out to my mom, but, like, I do vividly remember. She's like, I love you fully, but she's like, now I worry. Yeah. She's like, because I love you fully. She's like, but I know there are hateful people out there. She's like, I know there are just folks waiting who are looking for that opportunity. And, like, one, I want her to love me, but I also want her to not worry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and that also feels like a tricky spot where it's like, I'm very proud of being gay. I'm very, honestly, I'm so thankful I'm gay. Like, I think about, you know, the straight version of me and how boring he must be. Oh, no. How just uneventful his life probably is. Um, And I'm just, I'm so grateful for being gay. And I'm grateful that I get to look at myself and just ask questions that I wouldn't be able to ask myself. And also weird things I wouldn't be able to ask. But in that same regard, like, I also wish my mom, I lived in a world where my mom didn't have to worry. Yeah. I wish I was able to just exist in myself and everyone in proximity would know I'm okay. Yeah. It's so real. I don't know. In every iteration of myself that I imagine, I'm queer. So, like, it's so funny when people are like, oh, what if X was... No, I think I'd still be 
queer. And I think I love that about myself. Mm -hmm. I just think of how bad my haircut would be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> So yeah, I really appreciate all of you sharing your experiences coming out, um, and I appreciate you listening to mine. So I'm wondering how we are now healing or attempting to create counter-narratives um, to our experiences as we are kind of growing and developing into our adult identities. I, yeah, I can go first. Um, I definitely think like what was really helpful, I guess, or really set my healing or like, I guess my reclamation of power in motion uh, was seeing other gay, either Latino, Chinese or mixed race folk like in media um, and just being able to kind of see a model in front of me that was able to hold all of those identities at once and just live in themselves. Because um, I think like early on when I was really coming into myself, there was this emphasis on figuring out who you were sexual identity wise. Right. And so a lot of my early navigating was just like, who am I as a gay man? But it really was limited to just that gay element for, for a while. And But I mean, that really needed some time to figure out like where I was within that, like kind of how I felt, where comfortability was. Um, but then I guess... I started to see examples. I think, oh gosh, one of the earliest examples of someone who was Latino and gay that I saw, I don't know what season it was, but it was the Cancun season of the real world, like early 2000s. I couldn't tell you his name. He had the most ridiculous faux hawk, but I was like, oh my gosh, like a queer Latino man, like you can be those two things. Yeah. I was like, wow. And just being, I remember like, I got so, I would get so giddy when I would see him like just talking to a boy and I'd be like, wow, like they're like receiving him and like, yeah. he's like a proud gay man on television and he's Latino and he's speaking Spanish every now and then. And I'm like, I can be that. Yeah. And so like really a lot of like my early work was, you would think it would be adding the gay to the Mexican identity. It really was the other way around because like, I figured out who I was as a gay person before I was who I was like as a Mexican or mixed race person because I really wasn't given access to a lot of spaces also being mixed race on top of uh, being gay. So like uh, there was some gatekeepy stuff that was happening in terms of, like I was never Mexican or Chinese enough to really enter those spaces. Mm. Um, but yeah, just really seeing my role. I just thought it was funny hearing you talked about like it being like, you know, early 2000s, like show like that because I forgot until you said that how I was so in awe when that show um, like a shot at love with Tila Tequila was on. Yes. So I was like, oh my God, she's like a woman of color and she's like bi and she's on TV and she's just like kissing whoever she wants. And I definitely was too young to be watching that show. Oh, yeah. But I was like, oh my goodness, like I can do this. Like this is possible. So that's so real. Like the first time you see people who like you identify with like living authentically, I know like representation gets like you know, spoken to the end of the street, like as far as like our identities, what it really is great, like as you are coming into yourself and for uh, like younger folks, like to see people who like give you an idea of like who you can live like, even I, I didn't want to be Tila Tequila, oh, maybe for a minute, but <laughs> I was just like, wow, look right. at her. Okay, now you ran me for the whole tea, like, yeah. shot love. I'm, like, remembering, like, the Heaven and Hell episode, like, ugh. It's like, she's living the life. Really? <laughs> See, and, like, like, that really just takes me to, like, as, as children, we are truly only bound by our own imagination. Because, mm -hmm. like, I remember, so, I, like, saw these examples, but, like, I think at one point I blocked out the word, like, I blocked out, the like, the fact that, let me take a step back. I think at one point, like, I, I, realized I was gay and I think I suppressed it for a little yeah. bit um, because like I really didn't 
come into like full understanding until like 15. Mm-hmm. And so like from the ages of like five to 15, I was just, I just knew I didn't like girls. Mm-hmm. And so in this thing I, in my mind, I was like, I'm just not attracted to people. Yeah. And so, cause mm-hmm. gay is not an option because mm-hmm. I would so deeply right. suppressed it. And then finally seeing these examples of people living proudly, I was like, oh, that's me. Mm-hmm. That's my option. And like, I'm not, like, I'm not ace. Like, I really yeah. thought I was asexual for a very long time, aromantic. Like, I was just like, I'm not interested in people. And then someone was just like, oh, gay people exist. I wonder, like, did you have the language for that as well? Or was it kind of just something you, like, understood about yourself? Were you like, I don't know what gay is, but I know I'm ace? Or was it like, I just am not, it's not working for me with anyone? Yeah, you know, it was definitely like, it's not working with me for mm-hmm. anyone. I, But I also, like, again, I think I just really forgot that, like, well, I... Not a matter of forgetting, but I think I was so deeply trying to suppress the fact that I was gay early on that Mm. I just subconsciously blocked dating men as an option. Mm. Because I think the language was there, like, because I was definitely leaning into ace, like, I'm just not attracted to women, because I think I was just so, like, subconsciously deep into trying to impress who I was, like, sexually, Mm. um, that I just really convinced myself that I was ace until, Mm. like, someone created that safe environment for me to, like, learn this style of being and kind of being what it means to be gay, what it means to be queer. And... I was just like, oh, I'm so rigid and that is very freeing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like how you are talking, how we are both all talking about like models of like, and like mentorship and how important that is in helping us step into our identities. Um, and I'm, I was trying to think about when I first felt okay, like, um, admitting it to myself and I think honestly it I think I was like 20 like it was maybe 19 like it was recent honestly and I had suppressed it for so long and it just felt like in my head I it felt like a big jump like I would have dreams and like nightmares of like having to jump from one piece of land to another piece of land with water in between or lava or something, something dangerous, something cold, something uncomfortable. And I felt like I would drown. Like I felt like I, I was heavy, my body was heavy. And if I if I jumped, I could maybe make it to the land. But if I didn't, you know, there was no in between. Like I was in that water and it, I was gonna sink. And um, I think metaphorically it felt like um, I had, uh, you know, I was building my community of friends and family on that land to catch me, but it was a slow process of building the, that community because um, building that community meant opening up to the truth that I felt about myself, which also meant risking the the water or whatever's in between the land, risking uh, my my danger of sinking or falling into there as I was building my community on the land. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how my imagery has been. My whole life of coming out just felt like jumping. And when I did finally make that first jump, it felt like I was like hanging onto the edge of the land and just trying to climb up and find something to reach onto because once I had come out, it felt like I couldn't take it back. Once I told Mm -hmm. one person about one crush on a girl, I felt like I was out and it was so anticlimactic externally yet internally my body was in turmoil Mm -hmm. um 
I remember one of my good friends growing up, um, she was openly queer and I had just thought for so long, like if I if I do come out, you know, people are just gonna categorize me the way that they categorize her, but I wanna be my own person and I still wanna be everything that I was and everything that my friends and family have known me as for 20 years of my life. And I was so nervous, this was something I was very, very, very nervous about, was people accusing me of lying or pretending because I felt like I was lying. You know, I knew I was gay since I was eight years old and I, I just felt like people would think I was betraying their trust and that no one would trust me anymore. And it wasn't even, part of it was feeling ashamed and you know feeling scared, but a big part of it was just feeling um, ingenuine. Um, and I think that's something that isn't very widely talked about in the queer community because I want it to be validated more and I want to help validate um, younger people as well that they can still be genuine and still be authentic to themselves while coming out even while they were closeted they're still genuine they're still mm -hmm. authentic they're still who they are and they still hold all those values and they're still that person mm -hmm. because i thought something was going to change i thought people were going to see me differently and um, i remember my friend so i she was talking to me about her crushes and her girlfriends and i just felt like telling her and i remember i said like oh like i i think i have a crush on a girl and she was just like, oh, okay, like, who is it? And it was just so normalized. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. And it started with an interpersonal relationship for me. And, um, and interpersonal relationships are how I heal. And that is kind of how I find community with one-on-one um, -on -one friendships and relationships and connections. Because those make I feel more comfortable in those relationships than in groups. Um, and that's how I started to build my community. And once I was comfortable talking to her about my feelings, I um, started to expand and experiment with some of my friends talking about my feelings with them. Um, and slowly I started to find um, land mm. through community. And that was my healing process. That's beautiful. What a beautiful visualization. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> thank you for I listening. I could like picture it. <laughs> I know, you're over here like saying, I don't know if you'll understand this, and I'm just picturing the most beautiful, like, <laughs> yeah. surreal image. Thank wow. you for listening. That's so real, though. I think it's really unfortunate that, like, coming out sometimes does get framed as, like, deception, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, we've been holding something, or we've been tricking people. It's, it's scary. Mm-hmm. And I think that really speaks to like what oppressive forces are out there that are informing our operate like our kind of sense of operating through the world in that way. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of time I know for folks like who are kind of in the who really are in the closet, it's for their safety, right. mm -hmm. you know, or like yeah. having to like mask up or like fem up in certain spaces. It is for our safety. Mm -hmm. And it's like so informing. And like even that sucks. Like we're coupled like in feeling ingenuine in that for our safety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, if you were, how come you did this? thing this one time it's like oh i was terrified i was gonna get hate crying yeah thanks sorry dad i just had to pretend i like girls for your like validation yeah. <laughs> uh. <sighs> and, and kind of like bring you talking more about healing like i don't know what kind of like really made y'all feel seen for the first time i'm really interested in like was there a moment where in like your healing where you're like oh my gosh someone has seen me or like even i am seeing me for the first time in full I can really relate to what Allison said about like healing through interpersonal relationships. I think um, 
growing up, I was able to find other people who, even if they weren't queer, like, very loudly loved and accepted me and, like, gave me space to work through that in a way that I didn't feel like I was, like, being too much or lying or that I was in some way, like, bad. Um, Yeah, I just, I don't know, like community care is so huge Mm -hmm. especially for like someone developing any part of their identity or like if like we all like we all mentioned like being super young right when we knew but kind of being like oh there isn't space for me to like process this and unpack it and Mm -hmm. once we do have that beautiful things happen so I think it's so important um even earlier you said Anthony you know like sometimes you don't realize our experiences are so connected until someone says something and Mm -hmm. that's so cool when it happens um so yeah like I'm so grateful for everyone that I've met throughout my life even if they're not around anymore um just for like giving me space to like become who I am now mm-hmm. when did you feel seen oh sorry I'm just sitting in like community care like yeah it's like definitely <laughs> yeah. like seen and all that um but I think like in linking to growing up um and kind of like where I'm at now and like really feeling seen I think what I really struggled with um for the long time was, I was like, I always felt pretty strong about being Asian, like in spite of like how people treated me mm-hmm. growing up, just cause also like my last name is Chang, like there's no escaping it. Like as soon as I do that, it's like, all right, you're, you're Chinese. And like people are really forced to believe me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it came to being Mexican, like it being mixed race, uh, I was never Mexican enough. Or, mm-hmm. but then to like white communities, of course I was like Mexican. Yeah. Um, and I remember one of the biggest things I got bullied about growing up was my mustache. They'd be like, oh, you have a Mexican mustache. And like, cause, and they would just mm-hmm. like make a bunch of comments about it. And I remember like for the longest time, like I would shave every day. Cause I was like embarrassed of that because people yeah. would be like, oh, you're just like a Mexican with another mustache. And I'm just like, one what to yeah. like, like I don't want to be bullied. So I would shave like every day. And like, I remember, um, I think I was 21 um, and like pride was coming up and I was like, I'm going to grow a mustache for pride because mm-hmm. I'm going to be a very proud, like gay Latino. Like yeah. I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to reclaim that and experience all of my power. Um, so cue past three weeks, I grow the worst mustache ever. Um, <laughs> but I am just like feeling so proud because yeah. like really this thing that I had been bullied for, like racially, um, I got to really celebrate in myself in this like space that was really celebrating who I was like through sexual identity. And I got to yeah. be like, I got to hold myself in that. And I was just like, I felt seen. Um, and I'm still doing like a lot of work to reclaim my identities. And a lot of that is like calls with my mom cooking, you know, really getting into like what our, what I think is like my like culture and connection is like, is food is like the love that mm-hmm. she really brought me up with. Um, but yeah, I just, I remember like just being at pride, like having my mustache and like, I know it's like such a simple thing, but never had I ever been I guess proud to have a mustache. Yeah. I don't know. And that just felt cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like I felt really seen. But like on top of that, I think like an early experience was really coming to um was coming to the UW when I first transferred here. I initially came from Southern California. Um I never really ever left the city I was born in and grew up in. And it was like the same people, same stimuli, like yeah. all of the time. Um and then coming into Seattle, what was really interesting is I really got seen as a racialized body. And so I had to do a lot of work in understanding what that meant for me and how I operated in this really white city. Um, And I learned, like, there was actually an element of, like, proudness I was able to pull of that because, like, for the first time, I wasn't being put down for it. Mm -hmm. But, like, it was was really interesting because it was, like, this set of difference that was celebrated, but also, too, in that sense of, like, difference as in, oh, cool, diversity. But, like, that that Seattle, like, oh, cool, diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean... 
Yeah, that was really interesting just because I was invited to look at myself and I was invited to amplify that. But like, you definitely got to make sure that amplification is your choice, right. you know? Mm -hmm. And I learned that. But... And now people be like, oh, this is my cool. Yeah. Here's my cool Mexican Chinese first yeah. generation friend. Like, mm. he's so interesting. Right? It's like, I'm just interesting because I'm not like your friends. Yeah, <laughs> don't bring me for show and tell. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, mm. I think, I don't know, for me, I think what allowed me to really see myself is space. Mm. Is like, is space to understand who I was separate from that community I grew up in. Um, but then too, space to find my own new community that was able to meet me in that present. Right? Mm. Who saw where I was in that moment. And like, we're just like, all we want to see is you grow. They didn't know who I was before. They didn't see everything that held me back. They just saw everything who I was in that moment, saw the potential. Yeah. It was just like, here, go crazy. And now I'm back shit. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I feel like I also just like feeling the differences in how we're not held and then being held in environments and in community. Because I didn't even put this together. And it's, I don't want to say it's just a coincidence because that would rob it of its significance but i do remember like when i first was exploring my queerness i lived in south carolina and i lived with my dad who like as i mentioned earlier was the less supportive person and i remember either just being like so ashamed and having close friends who were like okay if you're gay but like we're friends but like mm, if you sleep over don't touch me oh if we do like just feeling very much like this will be tolerated, but like I am deviant for it. Mm -hmm. um, or having friends who just, and again, and this was like a white friend who did this. And then I had another white friend who, it was very much like a parlor trick to her. She thought it was so cool and interesting that I was gay and like would like ask me if I was interested in her and like to like flirt with me. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, you know, she didn't identify as a queer person. And I remember feeling kind of like taken advantage of her. Mm -hmm. And so that was my whole experience was either like, oh, I have to like hide this thing in order to be accepted or it's like played up in order for me to be accepted, but it's not me just existing versus when I moved away and moved in with my mom and I had my first um, friendship with two other like people of color that were my first friends when I moved. And I remember being so scared to like tell them I was queer because I was like, oh, I don't want to like miss out on this friendship because mm -hmm. these two straight girls are going to like do one of these two things again. And I remember they both just like, accepted me and it was just something about me and our friendship and not something that they necessarily focused on but it wasn't ignored either and I remember just like hanging out with them and being like shocked that they would like hug me or like wanted to be physically close with me versus like friends who would either be like physically inappropriate with me because of my queerness or who would like physically be disgusted with my presence because of my queerness and having people who would just be like oh no this is just my friend who is queer and I could talk about that with them and they didn't let it affect our relationship it was kind of just like being held in that space um so yeah I didn't ever realize before how like it was two white people who made me feel really bad versus like two people of color who made me feel welcome to my identity um, with that transition, but it was really important to me and made me a lot more confident a lot quicker um, once I had that. And like earlier, like again, again, it's like how we've all had these experiences that yeah. we don't know, like, and that's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Like, could you imagine having a friend your whole life and they just find out this one really yeah. just minute detail about you and suddenly they're not even willing to like give you a hug? Yeah, it's like mm -hmm. you're kind of a predator now. It's like, why? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah, like yeah. why did you like 
make me that exactly. <laughs> all of a sudden. Like what changed mm-hmm. in me being even more honest with mm. you about myself? How does that make me different? How am I viewed differently now? Yeah. yeah. And in that, just saying, like, I'm not worthy of touching you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I'm not worthy of you touching me. Like, I'm not... Like, now, like, to be physically repulsed by someone, like, that's... Yeah. That's icky. That like, pretty, like, and I think like I'm thinking about like our younger selves yeah. and like what that must have felt like right. in those moments. Like I, because like I'm sure we all had experience. We pushed down, mm-hmm. but like that is, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, like, just differences being like, I'll, I'll, I'll tolerate that difference versus being like, no, we're all different, and like I really love you for that. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this month's episode of Queer. Uh, We totally recognize that this one did take us a little bit longer to get out. And for that, we are just that much more thankful for your patience as we've gotten this episode in and recorded and edited. Uh, We hope you all loved it as much as we loved making it. Jazz, Allison, and I just truly enjoyed sharing space together, talking about our stories and just sharing experiences. Um, On that, we would love to keep the conversation going. So definitely stick with us uh, next month as we dive into race and sexuality once again. But additionally, next month will be a double feature. So uh, stay tuned for two episodes of Queer in the month of December. We hope to see you there. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. And subscribe. All right.